seen a video nasty. I wouldn't. I have far too much. How, how can you judge on a video nasty? Oh, have you never seen one? I actually don't need to see visually what I know is in that film. Video Nasties podcast. My name's Christopher Brown. Delirium is another one of the films on the list that would have slipped into obscurity if it hadn't been for the Video Nasties for Raw. A mix of vigilante revenge flick, cop drama, and slasher film to fairly tame crime drama with little to offend. Indeed, many have questioned why it ever arrived on the list at all, although I have my own theories. The saddest thing about all this is that it really is best known as a cautionary tale of picking library music for your soundtrack. You can never be sure who's used that track. On January 27, 1973, the United States and North Vietnam signed a peace treaty, bringing to an end the senseless killing. For some, the war didn't end. The battlefields may have changed, but the killing continues. Delirium. It's not about Vietnam, but about some of the men who survived it and the point of stress that the human mind can endure. known as Psycho Puppet, um, is a film from 1979. Susan Norcross, who's played by Debbie Chani, comes home to her apartment one evening to find her roommate murdered. The police, when they're not trying to actually get into Susan's pants, go on the hunt for the killer, who we find out is a Vietnam vet called Charlie. Now, Charlie's haunted by flashbacks of combat and sexual inadequacy, and goes on the ki- on a, a killing spree um, for anybody who happens to cross his path. There's also a, a group of ex-soldiers, a vigilante group, who employ their own form of justice. The group's leader, who's uh, called uh, who's called Stern, who's played by the rather wonderfully titled Baron Winchester, 
orders the capture of Charlie before the police do. And they're kind of using him as this psycho puppet to deal out justice, but they've lost control. Charlie is, you know, far too busy off killing women in his spare time rather than meeting out the justice that the uh, that our chaps wish him to do. There are no leads, and the cops become increasingly frustrated. Uh, who until Susan, who starts subject, uh, suspecting her, her boss Bob Winters, is up to no good now. She's right as well. Her boss is indeed part of this elite cabal. Stan doesn't know that Charlie's actually been killed, though. And this suddenly happens around the 50-minute mark. Susan avoids being killed herself, and the police close in on our group of, uh, of vigilantes. almost got us killed out there. Are you okay? Well, I'm going for a swim. What's wrong? There are some pretty big problems with this film. Some crazy decisions for starters. A female hitchhiker who is nearly killed after Charlie has flashbacks while driving a car decides then to go skinny dipping. The worst police investigation possibly of the history, almost beating Blood Feast. A tone of misogyny that goes beyond uh, naked women being killed and seems to be in every part of the story. And that includes the cops hitting on a heroine who moments before had just found her friend had been stabbed. Then there are the usual problems with films of this budget. Stilted acting, poor direction, uninspiring scripting that seem to come up with... um, they always decide, there's a fair few in the video nasties list that kind of fall into these traps. But the thing that makes it unsellable in the UK is for a very different reason. The theme for our cabal of vigilantes is called Approaching Menace, used as the theme to the TV game show Mastermind. I can imagine people giggling behind the, their hand rather than being depraved and corrupted 
The music, if you're interested, was written by Neil Grant Richardson. He was born in uh, 1930 and dies in 2010. An English composer and conductor. And in truth, he's probably best known for approaching Menace, this mastermind theme tune. And the Riviera Affair, which was used on WRTV's The Four O'Clock Movie. During the 60s and 90s, he was a range conductor for various BBC radio orchestras, uh, working on programmes such as String Sounds and the Radio Orchestra Show. But he was really known, well, he was a, he was a library uh, music conductor at the top and bottom, and worked for labels like Keep KPM. And so his music is being heard far and wide, and not just with Mastermind, but also, of course, with <laughs> Delirium as well. You know, it, it's this incidental music that he, he, he's best known. He also, in the UK, will be known for composing the music for, for test card called Scotch Broth. But it's fair to say as well, he's also known for his, his skills as, a, as, a, as a, an arranger of music. And he orchestrated and constructed uh, some of Richard Rodney Bennett's film music, such as for the, the film Four Winds and a Funeral and Enchanted April. And he's worked on things like Agatha Christie's Prior as well. The film was the debut feature of producer-director Peter Maris. Now, Maris, is, this is taken from his, his website, I think it's fair to say. He says that he's been um, working in the film industry most of his adult life. <laughs> I'm going to just read his, his own biography, which I'm assuming he wrote. His reputation for coupling high-quality stories and financial consider- consideration with artistic integrity and talent performances has resulted in the box office success of such films as Viper, Hang Fire, Ministry of Vengeance, Stingray, True Blood, Diplomatic Community, and Alien Species, amongst others. Peter has produced and or directed over 30 movies, starring such performances as Linda Pearl, George Kennedy, James Tolkien, 
Jeff Fari, uh, Sharon Fay, uh, Kim Denley, John Schneider, Bruce Boxeter, Robert Foster, and Diane Ladd. Oh, and Shirley Winters as well, <laughs> amongst others. Bringing his extensive creative talents to an entirely new medium, Peter also directed one of Inchi's best-selling interactive computer games, Phantasmagoria. I've never heard of that. If anyone has, let me know. I'll, I'll, I'll look into it. As a producer, Peter insists his productions remain within the confines of the established budgets and schedules. At the same time, he's a master at creating compelling films with an on-screen look, far exceeding their actual costs. Peter has produced films in Hollywood and New York, as well as the numerous locations throughout the United States and internationally. His exceptional skills in working with a wide variety of local crews and talents and securing the most cost-effective productive resources, regardless of the location. As a director, Peter views his role as a combination of creativity, strong leadership and organisation. Cognizant of the fact that filmmaking is in truth a business, he believes the director's responsibilities are to provide both entertainment as well as profitable movies. Peter is a native of Greece and lived in California most of his adult life and currently resides in Freena. Now, from my own... um my own sarcasm you could probably detect from my voice I'm a little bit thinking that he's possibly you know overgilding the lily with his uh, descriptions there he's made nothing since 2007 in an interview with Ionjin.net which is kind of like uh, it's a, it enjoys um, director video B action movies that, that I think it's a bit of a fan site for that he says I think like everyone in Hollywood I wanted to make a movie for the studios and make the big bucks but I changed my mind fast after an experience with a small company that was not pleasant too many cooks I decided to be independent and make movies in my way maybe that was a mistake but I love what I do and then going on to say I will release the last two movies The Survivor and Zombie Hunters as soon as I can find a company that I feel comfortable with selling for me most companies don't want to give producers their fair share of the money and we never get proper reports you know my feeling is if he's made a a living out of um out of that kind of artwork, you know, out of filmmaking, then fair play to him. Because I'm not convinced he's going to be able to from the number of films that he's made. Um, I know that sounds quite harsh, but I think it's quite fair as well. He's obviously, you know, he's a, he's a bloke who has, has obviously tried to make a career in, in the industry, but I think um, films like Zombie Hunters sitting on the shelf, when you're talking that level, must have been pretty painful for him, really. What about Baron Winchester, our balding actor, who uh, looks a little bit like he should be a baddie, but not quite. Baron Winchester was born Dwayne Lee Jones, September 15th, 1932. He was a former sergeant in the US Marine Corps and Korean War veteran. He had to change his stage name to Baron Winchester because of the uh, Screen Actors Guild already having the name Dwayne Jones registered. And that, of course, is the Dwayne L. Jones from Night of the Living Dead. Years later, his wife would comment that he wanted a name with a lot of R's in it, something people would remember him by. He acted on a stage and film from around the 1960s until the early 1980s, and later on did some work behind the scenes in films such as Cover Story, The Big Brass Ring, uh, 
and uh, which you know is a film that featured William Hurt. It was my thirty-two years, and it has to be said that he um, was a you know he played this Eric Stern in Delirium, which is probably his biggest role on screen, and he also directed Ministry of Vengeance and that Zombie Hunters film that we discussed before. Look, Andrews, I'm going to ask you to remember that when you came to us some time ago, you said you'd do anything, absolutely anything, if we could correct the injustice that you had suffered. We took great risk to accomplish that to your satisfaction. But why do we have to let people like Charlie into this organization? I agree. No matter how right we know we are, we really stick our necks out. We don't need to hire men like him. What are we worried about? We hired Stern to take care of everything else. He'll take care of this too. Charlie was a good soldier. Mistakes are made. Now we can be more selective. Perhaps this would be a good time to add more members to the council. No, no, I don't think that's a good idea. The more people we bring in, the more people know our operation. That was our intention when we organized. When we hired Stern, he assured us he could control his men. We didn't expect you to hire psychos. We have no guarantee this won't happen again. Why don't we give Stern a chance to do his job? Maybe he's not capable. We can't afford mistakes like this. Are you suggesting replacing him? If we don't correct this problem now, we may jeopardize everything we've been working for. None of us can afford to make any mistakes. Charlie will not be a threat to any of us. I don't like it. Neither do any of us. Why don't we just let Stern handle this matter? Wells, I promise you, we'll get to Charlie before the police do. But if we... The discussion is ended. So the film was released in July 1982 by Video Tape Center. That's VTC. They're the ones with the lovely gold tapes and like the gold head on them. Um, Revenge of the Boogeyman's that as well. They did a few nasties. The video that's to, to, to the DPP list of nasties on November 1983, but was later dropped in May 8, 1985. Um... The BBFC passed the 87 Global Sales Video 18 after cuts and was titled Psycho Puppet. And that cut was to a scene of a topless woman being impaled with a spear. The movie's really only available now on bootlegs. Um, But why was it banned though? Well, naked women getting killed through cheap looking uh, uh, props and it looks kind of um, vicious at points, I mean, it looks like a nasty, really, with its uh, grainy 16mm blown up to 35. And looking at the um, the video nasties um, uh, definitive guide uh, triple di- triple disc set, Kim Newman has a very interesting idea about what it was. That while the cover might not seem seem particularly innocuous, and also you know, it just has quite a bog-standard um, action movie cover, and also the um, you know the film itself is not as you know as offensive as a lot of those kind of films are at that time, and probably not video nasty material. It does say 
the back cover says the following. Charlie kills women indiscriminately and grotesquely. He impaled one victim on a spear, drowns a hitchhiker, plunged a pitchfork through the neck of another, and Charlie's going to keep on killing. The police have no real clue to the identity, but the behaviour of one contact leads them to widen their investigations. On the run, Charlie seeks f- food in a lonely house where he discovers a cleaver and plans the murder of a woman bathing upstairs. Instead, he hacks a delivery man to death before the woman kills Charlie with a gun blast. The police connect the brutal murders with a series of suicides and track down a secret group of men who have taken the law into their own hands. The group employed Charlie, a Vietnam veteran, an escapee from a mental institution, to carry out their executions. The Lord closes in and violence explodes in a terrifying burst of stunning fury and suspense. So the title makes it sound like it is a um, a gore film, a slasher movie. And as we know now, slashers did not go down well with the, uh, the DPP at the time but instead as well obviously for me if this is the case and this is the reason why it caught the attentions of the of the police and the DPP it would possibly be the first time that censorship has been caused on a film simply by the the the, the action of copywriting <laughs> I pinned my badge on damn near 25 years ago, and I thought I'd seen just about everything. Well, I'm beginning to pick up some of the same vibrations you had earlier. Well, maybe when we catch this Charlie character, he can tie it all together for us. Hey, guys. The sheriff in Broadwater County just called again. They think they got your man. He's dead. Dead? And uh, just a little bit of feedback. We've got, um, thank you very much to, um, well, first off, thanks very much to everyone who, who you know, gives me um, such wonderful feedback on Twitter and um, gets back to me all the time. It's really amazing. Thank you so much. And to Wolf, who have been chatting to on email about various bits of pop night gallery and video nasties as well. Um, Scott P., who uh, went to the website, said, I'm from the States and first heard about the whole video nasties kerfuffle from the classic episode of The Young Ones. Vivian was de- desperate to get that video nasty on the set, but I had a bloody infomercial in the middle of it. That aside, I want to thank you for a highly entertaining podcast, really put in an impressive amount of time and effort into the research. Not just a list of kills and nude scenes like some of the ridiculous horror podcasts. Another great horror podcast worth of your time is the Canadian Horror Etc. podcast, just as intelligent as your podcast. Take care and keep up the good work. Well, cheers for that, Scott. And you're not the only person who over the years has recommended Horror Etc. to me. I do dip in and out of it. Um, it's an incredible podcast and also amazing the, the sheer amount and quality of work that they've managed to keep up through the years. It's an incredible staple, I think, of a lot of people's listening, particularly this time of year. Um, also my apologies to Rob Wilson who uh, is, as uh, regular listeners will know regularly sends him feedback and that's an amazing thing and I love the fact he does that he says shit did my show prep a few days ago watched Lamberto Barber's Delirium oh well I liked it that answers my question about why I didn't make the list because it didn't crap 
Sorry, Rob. Um, yeah, that's my fault. I should have um, made it clearer about this one, particularly some of them. I mean, like, you know, when we're talking about Bloodbath, loads of these films have, like, loads of different titles, and uh, I wasn't clear on this one what, what the film was, and I do apologise for that. Um, interestingly enough, when we reach Island of Death, and also when we reach um, the rather, uh, you know, um, about Bay of Blood, as it's known in America, known as Bloodbath when it was released over here. Um, the Barber film um, will be be able to discuss exactly to the extent these films, the, the different titles confuse the authorities as well, and diff, some films got ripped off the shelves for no reason at all. Um, next week, I think we can have a change of plan. Um, the reason for that is that One Way Static Records have. Um, put together uh, a CD, well, a vinyl record, and also a cassette of um, The Last House on the Left. And I was thinking, considering the fact that we're coming up to Halloween, the, maybe the Halloween episode should be, rather than Cannibal Ferox, which is a, you know, a pretty nasty and horrifying episode, something that really, you know, kind of is one of the classics. You can, so, if you want to get hold of me, please do. My email address is videonastiespodcast at gmail.com my twitter is at orange underscore monkey or you can come to our website uh, videonastiespodcast.com that's where all the episodes are and the podcast and a bit more information as well about the um, that upcoming release from um, One Way Static Records so until then take care and I'll speak to you soon goodbye